Well, I just want to express my gratitude uh, before we get started. I want to thank you so much for, for what you do here. I don't, I don't know if you realize just how important this work is, uh, but it's vital. It, it's vital to the Lord's body as a whole that each congregation of the Lord's people engage in, in his work. And that's part of it, and, and, and you're part of that, and it's so important. And I thank you so much for your desire to serve him and, and to, to know and for your attendance this week. It meant so much to me to see so many come out on a Thursday or Friday night or a Saturday morning whenever you could have been anywhere. You chose to be here, and I appreciate that very much, and I do feel like this is family. I know Clay and his family have treated me so well this week, it's going to be hard to go home because uh, I know that my wife is not going to make me coffee like like Sandra has, and it has been very good for me to be here, but probably I, I, I know also that I, uh, I do need to get back to my life, and I, I just thank you for letting me be part of yours uh, these last couple of days. And I hope that these lessons have been beneficial and that we've built something, and that today we'll, we'll bring that to an end, we'll bring that to a close. And you've seen the slide up now for the last several minutes, and when you consider God's creation as a whole, we, we see plenty of this out there. When I was a kid, growing up on my Nana's farm, my Nana lived in Macon County, Georgia. She lived in Oglethorpe. I'm sure some of y'all might know where that is. And I'm sure that you have the same situation here that I had there because we're in the same region of the country. And I'm not a guy that likes to wear shoes. I'm not a guy that likes to wear pants. I usually have on shorts. I only wear pants when I have to, which is usually when I come to church, when I come to worship. Otherwise, you'll find me in a pair of shorts and Crocs, probably. Uh, and when it's cold, I just put on a hoodie. I don't, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of, 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 of all that. And, and so and it began as a kid for me. And I can remember being young and tearing out across my Nana's backyard and finding something. Sand spurs. Those, those, those grow down here. I don't know how they grow. I don't know where they grow, but they grow because they end up in the ground. And I would always inevitably end up picking them out of my feet. Uh, and now the result of that is that the bottom of my feet are like shoes. Uh, they're tough as nails. But when I was a kid, that's what we did. We'd walk around the farm eating stuff, blackberries, and, and, and she had pecan trees in the front yard, and she had a peach tree in the yard, and she had an apple tree in the yard, and a pear tree in the yard, and there's a well on the, on, the, on, the black, on the back of the property. But there was also a blackberry bush. And they would grow all on the side. And guess what's? On those plants. And you get a little excited sometimes and go reaching in too fast and grab a handful of that too. Roses are beautiful and fragrant. And they also have thorns. But I used to wonder why though. You know, I, I, would, I would tear out across the yard and step on these thorns. I'd reach to grab my favorite fruit and I'd grab thorns. I reached to smell a, a beautiful flower and I grabbed thorns. And as a kid, it bothered me to no end to wonder why these things even exist. Why are there thorns? What purpose do the thorns serve? Why do we have sand spurs? Why do we have mosquitoes? And other inconvenient and painful, bothersome things that, I, that you can think of. And the answer that, that all Christians know is going to be that because Adam and Eve sinned. And for a long time, my answer would have been that at that moment, that Adam and Eve sinned and entropy and genetic anomalies and all other life forms entered the world because of sin. 
And I still believe that, but that doesn't answer the question as to why. We know how it happened, because sin into the world, but why that? Why thorns? And then I noticed something that I've never noticed before. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 through 19, a passage I know that we know well, I hope we do. Notice something with me. It says, To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth your children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree in which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. But did you catch it there? I mean, we see that, that both thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, but did you see why? He says, cursed is the ground for your sake. Now think of it. What do you usually mean... When you make the statement that includes the words for your sake. Are you going to help or hurt that person? Well, sometimes it's a little of both, isn't it? If you're doing something for someone's sake or another person's sake, you're trying to help that person in some way, correct? When you're doing it for their sake, you're hoping it's going to be for their betterment. And so... How does making Adam work harder benefit him and by extension us? Well, I want us to consider maybe that the thorns are a gift. Maybe the thorns are actually a gift and we're just seeing it the wrong way. Maybe there's some value in thorns that we're not seeing inherently. Because I promise you, I've never seen it in my life. Tearing out across the field barefoot or reaching in to grab my favorite fruit and, and, and finding myself hurt. I've never seen the value in thorns. But in reading this and seeing that God did this for our sake. Tells me that he had something else in mind that I'm missing. Consider this. There are only two professional football teams, or there were, that played their home games in a dome stadium or artificial turf. That have ever won the Super Bowl before 2010. I believe that's changed now. But before 2010, only two in the history of football, pro football, only two teams that play in a dome with artificial turf have ever won the Super Bowl. The rest of the teams that have won Super Bowls have been teams that played in, a, in an open stadium on grass. The St. Louis Rams in 2000 and the New Orleans Saints in 2009. And while the climate-controlled stadium protects the players and, and the fans, obviously, from, from the misery of sleet and snow and mud and heat and wind, it also the players who braved the elements, however, were on a regular basis more disciplined to handle hardship when it was found on the field. The Green Bay Packers come to mind. 1996 Super Bowl champions. Probably because of the discipline they gained from regularly playing in the worst weather in the country. I mean, I can remember watching those games. 
And you just see them. They're sitting there and the fans and the team and everybody. Snow's coming down and they're just well, having a blast. And you look at the, the opponent's team and their fans who were there for the games. And what are they doing? They're miserable. Because they've been used to the climate control. They've been used to the protection. And so we endure hardship as discipline. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time. But painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. We're going to go to this passage in just a second. But going into that, going into this passage, keep Hebrews 11, 12 in your mind. Verse 7 through 11, the writer says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And for what son is there whom his father did not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. Ah, for our sake, that we may share in holiness. For the moment of all discipline seems painful, whether pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit, the fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, challenges make us stronger. When I go to the gym in the morning, I'm not going to go in there seeking to lift the lightest weight I can find. I'm going to go in there looking for the heaviest that I'm able to do, and I'm going to try to push it off my body so that it doesn't kill me. But the point in that is to get stronger. Right? I want to get stronger. I want to, to be able to exercise my body to the best of my ability to make me stronger. And so challenges make us stronger, but that's not all. If we allow them to, they help us focus on what's really important. It is well known that Beethoven, the great composer, was deaf for a large part of his adult life. And he was completely deaf by the time he was my age. He was completely deaf by the time he was 47. And so the process of going deaf had taken 16 years. Now imagine being aware that the sense most needed for your chosen occupation was leaving you. He was a composer and he was losing his hearing. He was going deaf. What does that do to you? Especially because you can't do anything to stop it. Not, especially not then. Not in those days. Now there's, there's all sorts of technology that help and aid people. But in Beethoven's time, there was none of that. And so Beethoven was severely depressed. He was admittedly thinking of suicide often. But he never quit composing music, and I think that's key. He never quit composing music because he could only hear it in his imagination. And the Ninth Symphony is probably his best-known piece. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Everybody knows that, right? He wrote that during a time when he was completely deaf. How could he write such a piece of music totally deaf? In a conversation with a friend of mine who is a classical musical lover, I'm not necessarily. We discussed my taste in music yesterday, and Clay was not impressed. Yet loves me anyway. 
But this friend of mine is a classical music lover. And I made the comment just out of the appreciation of Beethoven. I said, imagine what he could do. Considering he could do that when he's deaf, imagine what he could have done if he could still hear. And my friend strongly disagreed with me and saying that he felt the Ninth Symphony was based on the one thing that Beethoven could still hear. His heartbeat. See if you can't hear it next time you listen to that. Go home and listen to it. And see if you can't hear Beethoven's heartbeat in that symphony. You see, he had lost his senses, but in that challenge, he focused on the one thing he still could hear. And out of that comes one of the greatest works that he ever put out. So why did God introduce struggles and challenges after the fall? Well, have you ever met a child that has no limits? Challenges teach us discipline. Like Beethoven, challenges can help us block out the noise. In the last sermon, we talked about noise and the necessity for silence. And that when we get silent, we can then focus on what's important. And so like Beethoven, challenges help us block out the noise around us and help us focus on what's important. And as Paul reminds us, learning to live within our limitations, we talked about limitations the other day, and learning to live within limitations teaches us humility. And it teaches us the need of a Savior. Look at our passage here I've got on the board. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Ha! Same language. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I think this is one of those passages that we sometimes don't always look at in the full context. We love that part, for then I'm weak, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. But look at everything before that. And so the next few minutes, I want to focus on what this passage can teach us about the value of our thorns. Paul could see the value in his. Paul said he was given a flesh and he begged God. And when God said, nope, my grace is all that you need, then Paul says, I will take pleasure. And he would do so for Christ's sake. God said he would give us thorns for our sake. So that we could take pleasure in them for Christ's sake. Let's look for a few minutes here. There it goes. I think the first thing we have to do is accept our thorns. We love denial. We love to deny that we have a problem. I can tell you that when I was still a practicing addict, I could convince you without a doubt that I didn't have a problem. That I was 100% in control of myself and I was just doing what I wanted. And addiction aside, I think we all still deal with denial a little bit. 
We gain a few pounds and we look at the scale and we go, that can't be right. We go to put on our favorite pants that no longer button. Well, they must have shrunk. Couldn't be, couldn't be that I gained a few pounds. Someone messed up my laundry. We love to deflect and we love to deny. But there's a Chinese proverb that says, a gem is not polished without rubbing. Ouch. Sometimes I need to be rubbed the wrong way. A gem is not polished without rubbing, nor man made perfect without trials. Paul begged God to take away the thorn. Three times. Okay, that's not a, a subtle or, or, or cursory asking of a, a, a favor. He begged him three times. This was not a casual request. To pray three times means desperation. It also was that Jesus prayed three times in the garden, correct? He pleaded with the Lord. He poured his heart out. He sweat blood. To pray three times shows desperation. That's what we began our week with this week. Jesus had faced so much. And he begged God to take the cup from him. And Paul also had faced much. And when he prays, God, why don't you leave me in pain? Heaven is silent. And you can imagine Paul's disappointment to pray once and then nothing. To pray twice and then nothing. And finally, God does speak after the third time, but it probably wasn't what Paul was expecting. He said, oh, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so God wasn't offering to, to remove the thorn from Paul, but to give him the grace to live with it. Someone once wrote this, and I don't know who it was. I would love to give them credit for it because it's so profound. But it says, the will of God will never lead you where the grace of God cannot keep you. And I think that's worth remembering in this case. That it's another way of saying with Paul that we never have temptations that we cannot bear. We pray for lighter burdens when maybe we ought to pray for stronger backs. And we pray for an easier path when maybe we ought to pray for tougher feet. And we pray for fewer problems when maybe we ought to pray for better solutions. Your thorn is yours to bear. My thorn is mine to bear. And so we should accept it and be thankful for it in spite of it. As Paul states, it was given to me. Do you ever think about your thorn like that? Sometimes we think, oh, this happened to me. And we, and we immediately take victimhood. Yet Paul says, there was given to me a thorn. When something is given, it's given as a gift. So maybe there is some aspect in which thorns are a gift. And that we need to recognize ours as such. And then we need to own it. He goes on and says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. The church is a place for people. Because the church is people. And where you have people, guess what else you have? Problems. The church is a place for problems. 
I think sometimes we want it to be neat and pristine and clean, and we don't want any of the mess of the world in here. But guess what? That's not what we're called to do. We're not called to keep a neat building. We're called to seek and save the lost. And while they are in the process of being saved, it's going to be messy. Get used to it. The church won't grow until we get ready to accept that people have problems. And just because we've been saved, as I said in the last lesson, just because we become a, become a Christian doesn't mean that our problems end, but rather some, in some cases our problems magnify and, and multiply. And so, again, our natural tendency is to wear the mask and pretend that nothing is wrong in our lives. But in Galatians 6, verse 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And in bearing one another's burdens, we experience what is the truest sense of the word community and what it really means. And it's easy to commune with one another when there's something to celebrate. But when we commune within the bond of brokenness, stripping away the fake persona and putting on the church face, as I said yesterday. Church face is the face that I can show you for 15 or 20 minutes after service today and never let you really see me. But the more time we spend together and the more we do together, the more me you're going to get to know. And when I hold up this fake picture in front of me, my arms eventually get tired. And little by little, you get to see me, the real me. And I can truly so know and see you too. But if we only know the best of one another, if all I ever show you is my best, how can you help me through the worst? You can't. Because you won't even know when I'm going through it. How will we ever truly fulfill the law of Christ if we can't bear with one another? We're so funny about privacy. And people being in our business, guess what? As the church, we're supposed to be in your business. And you're supposed to be in mine. This is how we fulfill the law of Christ. We bear one another's burdens. Taking ownership of your thorns doesn't mean that we parade in our weakness for all to see. But what it means is that within the body of Christ, to keep the body healthy, listen to me, to keep it healthy, we must accept its vulnerability. Every person here understands that when the body gets sick, what do you do? When the body gets sick, you don't hide the illness. You don't put your head under the covers and pretend that you're not. You go to the doctor. You go to the doctor. You go see a physician for medicine. And the spiritual body is no different. Pretending that your thorns don't exist gives our sin license to grow and choke out the body from within, just like thorns will do. Pretend they don't exist and see what happens. You pretend that thorns don't exist out there and they'll tear off and run through there, what are you going to find? Thorns everywhere. We must take ownership of our thorns and keep them trimmed back. And to do so in one another's lives too. To invite you to hate my sin as much as I do. And for you to invite me to hate yours too. And then together we accept the fact that we've got thorns and they've got to be maintained. They've got to be dealt with. They can't allow to be run wild and grow out of control. 
to take ownership of our thorns, we will help one another carry the burden that it bears in having it. And so we accept it, Paul says, it was given to me. And then we own it, that we will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. And then we will use that. He says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When Jesus gave the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he started by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those who have realized their own helplessness. Blessed are those who have placed their complete trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who aren't hung up on keeping up appearances. Blessed are those who will be real and let down the church face and just have real talk. Oh man, what the world would be if we could just have real talk. The world teaches us to despise all forms of weakness. But the Bible tells us to embrace our weakness. For only then do we let go of our self-reliance. I can do this. I've got it. How many times have you seen someone trying to bear up under something heavy? Too heavy for them to bear. And you go to help and they go, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And all the while they are just destroying themselves. You don't got it. From the very beginning, God said it's not good that man should be alone. Why do we insist on trying to live like we are then? He gave us a community of people. God believes in community. And he gives us his body. He gives us his church as a community to where we can, we can embrace our weakness and let go of self-reliance and look to the source of true strength in our lives. When we accept our weakness, we become gracious people. And gracious people become dispensers of grace. I remember when my, my knees first started going bad. And I was still very much in denial. No, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. You know, and I'm limping and hobbling and I'm lying to everybody. Because I clearly was not fine. And after church one Sunday, I had taken the family down to our favorite pizza place. Downtown. And it's in an old house. And that old house is up several flights of stairs, cut into the ground. And I dropped the family off to let them go ahead and go up there and get us a table, and I'll go find a place to park. It's downtown parking. It's difficult. Well, I'll find a place. And it was right next door to our, the place where we were eating, but I had to walk down a hill and then down another hill and then up those stairs. And by the time I got to the top of those stairs, I was sweating, and my knee was just screaming, and I'm trying to, I'm fine. And I get in there and I sit down and they all look at me like, Daddy, you okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be all right, I'll be all right. You know, you know and I'm holding my knee the whole time and I'm just in, in, in agony. Why was I lying to them? No, I'm really hurting. Self-reliance, Right? After we got done eating, my now son-in-law grabs the keys off the table and says, I'll go get the car. And my first inclination was, no, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. But as I started to stand up, my knee shot pain up through my leg, and I was like, okay, man. 
and I could have cried. Because there was a moment there where I got real. I can't do this. And what a blessing it was for him to go do it and for me to let him do it. And in that moment, I realized the necessity of being gracious. That extending grace to people is also being able to receive it. When we accept our weakness, we become gracious people. And gracious people become dispensers of grace. And while sin of any kind is never worth committing, the hard lessons learned by your, your consequences, the hard lessons learned by your experience, very well may be the thing that saves the life of another. Think about it. Sin is never worth committing. But the lessons of your consequences shared with another can save their life. It can save a life. So accept your thorns. And then own them, as Paul says, and then use them. Use them. Not because they're good, but because you have them. And all things used... For God, we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Being called according to his purpose does not mean that you don't have thorns. It means that you've accepted it. And that you'll own it. And then you'll use it to his glory. To use your life experience to help another person struggling. For that person, it's invaluable. When I first moved to Birmingham, I was approached by a woman named Camille Monkus. And I didn't know Camille, but she had heard of me through someone else and that I had some sort of history with drugs and alcohol. And she called me and told me that her son, Will, was battling addiction. And that she wanted me to go talk to him, and so I did. And I walk in to Brookwood Hospital where he was, and he just looked pitiful, this 21-year-old kid, all-American, did not look like a heroin addict. And yet, that's what he was. And he told me that he wanted to come back to the Lord, that he'd been away, and that he was tired, and that he just wanted help. I said, all right, dude, I'm in. Come see me at Fulton Hill when you get out. And he did. He showed up, and after my sermon, I presented the invitation, and he came forward, and I said, well, you know you don't have to come forward. You've already repented. When I came and met with you, he goes, no, I want these people to know. I want these people to know what my thorn is. And so I got up. And of course, I got emotional and I, I cried the whole way through it. But I wanted to, people to know that this young man recognized his weakness and did not want to be left alone in it. And so I used my weakness, my experience, my consequences to help with Will. And for three months, he fought. And in a moment of weakness, where he denied that he had a problem anymore, that he was strong enough, he gave in, he relapsed, and it killed him. And one of the hardest lessons for me to learn was that sin is going to have its way. But on the other side of that, seven young men 
have been saved from addiction and are faithful to the Lord because of Will's story. Because of sharing his weakness. Our life experience can help another person struggling, and to them, it could be invaluable. Will lost his life. He lost his battle. But seven other men live now because of him. Use your thorns. It all works to the glory of God. And so finally, there's this. James says, my brethren, and I say this morning, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God gave us thorns for our sake. Because he wants us to stay close to him. And he wants us to stay close to each other. Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because he would depend on God and God alone. And he wouldn't hide it from his brethren. And he could stay close to them both. That in my weakness, because of my thorn, I will cling to God. And I will cling to my brethren. Unified in purpose. Because we are unified in our weakness. We all have it. And through Christ we are unified in strength. There was a blind preacher from Scotland named Daniel Matheson. And he prayed a prayer once concerning his blindness and it being a thorn. And thankfully, somebody had the presence of mind to write it down. So I'll read to you what they wrote that he said that morning. He prayed, saying, Dear God, I've never thanked you for my thorns. I have thanked you a thousand times for my roses, but never once for my thorns. I have been looking forward to the world where I shall get compensation for my cross, but have never thought of my cross itself as a present glory. Teach me the glory of the cross I bear. Teach me the value of my thorns. Show me that I have climbed closer to you along the path of pain. Show me that through my tears, the colors of your rainbow that I've never seen look much more brilliant. Thank God for your thorns. Wow. Thank God for your thorns. Thank God for your weakness. Thank him for your pain. Thank him for the ever-present reason in your life to be dependent on him. Accept them and use them, own them. But give him the glory because they're from him. Only when we are weak can we ever truly be strong. And so see the gift in your thorn. When it comes to thorns, Jesus was our ultimate example. On the cross, he wore a crown. And he bore our thorns himself for us. He made himself weak. Weak enough to suffer and die so that his power could be made perfect in us. What a gift. What a gift these thorns are that he gave us. And this morning, that gift is available to you. 
If you're not a Christian, you need to be one. And I don't know what else I can say to convince you if you're not already. But I'll tell you this. If you've got questions, I'll study with you. I'm six hours from home and I don't have to be anywhere. And if you need to talk, I'll stay and we'll talk. If you don't want to study, I'll stay and we'll study. But whatever the case, don't leave this place without the blood of Christ. And if you've allowed your thorns to grow and to choke out the fruit of the Spirit, all he asks is that you come back. To be silent, he'll fight for you. And so if you have thorns in your life that you've let run out of control, that by denying them and by excusing them and by justifying them, all they've done is hurt you. We can help. And there's no shame in coming forward. Don't sit there if you're hurting. The invitation is an opportunity to have a room full of people pray for you. And if the prayer of one person avails much good, how much more? A room full. Whatever your need is, I pray that you'll let it be known now as we sing a song to encourage you. Bring Christ your broken lives, so marred by sin, He will begin anew, make all again. Your empty, wasted years, He will restore, and your iniquities something I don't have. 
and he can help me and help me to understand myself and understand my weaknesses. And so I hope what you've learned this week, we can all learn from each other. We all bring value. Doesn't matter where we come from, but the gospel brings us together. And uh, it has power to change all of us. And we need each other's help to do that. So, hope it's been good for you. Um, we'll have a closing prayer, and I'm going to make one comment after the prayer. So, Michael, I think you have a closing prayer. Let's pray. Our dear Holy Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beauty of it. And we thank you for this opportunity and everyone's presence here today to come and worship you and to hear another portion of your word. We ask you to continue to bless Brother Keith and his work. And we thank you for him coming and bringing us lessons from your word, Lord. And may we try to apply those lessons to our lives. Help us ponder and consider the things he brought for us. Talking about how you had a plan for us for our salvation even before the foundations of the world, before you created this world, Lord. And to help us realize just how short this life is and that we should make the best of it, Lord, and take time to be quiet and to listen to you and to finally, whatever struggles that we come in our lives, help us through those, Lord, and to help us make them stronger, Lord, and to help others. We, above all, also, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the blood that was shed on our behalf that we may have salvation, Lord. Please uh, be with us that we may always do your will. Please help us increase our faith, Lord, and to always serve you. And be with us as we leave this place that we'll try to spread your word, Lord, and be examples and be lights in this world, Lord. Please guide, guard, and direct us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. A uh, group of people are going to go to Laredo's and eat. Not a work at the church, but anyway, if you want to go, please, please come. I'll have my kids there, and if you want to learn some of my thorns, you might get it out of my kids. <laughs>